Welcome to Beyond Great Sex, the podcast that will revolutionize your sex life. I'm Morgan Horn, I'm a sex and intimacy coach, and I am going to give you the tools to create the mind-blowing sex life that you've been craving. When you apply the teachings from this podcast, you will drop the shame, limiting beliefs, and everything else that has been keeping you from enjoying the intimacy that you were designed to experience. Instead, you will unleash your unlimited potential, sexual and beyond. When you work with me, great sex is only the beginning. We're going beyond. Hey lovelies, how are you doing? Today is a bit of a special episode. I was invited to speak on Rebecca Orr's podcast, Master Your Relationship Drama. Rebecca is a certified coach like me, and she specializes in relationships and helping people build secure relationships without all the mind drama. She's a great coach and also a dear friend, and we had a lot of fun talking all things sexuality. Specifically, we discussed how to navigate differences in sex drives, what's the quote-unquote right amount to be having sex. We talked about initiating sex, how to maintain passion in a long-term relationship, and also how to feel sexy and desirable regardless of what your partner is doing or not doing. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. And if you want to check out Rebecca's work, you'll find a link to her podcast, Instagram account, and website in the show notes of this episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. I am so, so excited for this episode. And I have my amazing friend, Morgane Horn here, who is also a sex and intimacy coach. And me and Morgane actually trained together at the Life Coach School a few years ago. How many years ago was it, Morgane, was it? I think it was, was it 2020? Yeah, I can't remember when it was, but we trained together anyway. Um, So we've learned all the the same amazing tools and, and concepts that you hear me talking about every single week. Uh, but Morgane is an expert in all things sex and intimacy. So I really wanted to bring her on to the, the podcast to answer a lot of your questions about all things sex and how we can really create amazing sex lives and, and more importantly, how we can navigate the moments where maybe life isn't so amazing in terms of, of things in the bedroom. Okay, so I know I've just given you a little mini introduction, but do you want to start by kind of introducing yourself a little bit, Morgane, and telling us um, a little bit more about what got you into this and, and kind of what you do with your clients? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, You're one of my favorite coaches. I think the work that you do is amazing. (laughs) So it's definitely a privilege to be here today. Um, So like you said, my name is Morgane. I'm a sex and intimacy coach. And before I was a coach, I had, let's say, a more traditional career uh, in law and public affairs. Um, I lived in many countries. I speak four languages fluently. And if there's one thing that I noticed in all the countries that I've lived in is that sex is still very much a taboo subject. And it's also a source of pain and shame for a lot of people, Mm. especially women. So although I coach people of all genders and sexual orientations, you know, helping women free themselves from their socialization and what gets in the way of their pleasure is a cause that's really dear to my heart. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's obviously where a lot of the things that that we teach will overlap because 
a lot of what I'm talking about in terms of relationships is kind of deprogramming that societal impact, the things we've been taught about relationships, the things we've been taught about what being rejected means or what someone cheating on us means or finding the one and all of these things. That, that's so much to unpack that we're programmed to think about that messes with the way that we then show up in our relationship and, and the relationships we're able to create. So I love that you said Absolutely. that. So one of the first things I will ask you, because I know it's something that a lot of my clients are struggling with, is how do we deal with differences in sex drive? So if maybe you want more sex than they do, or you want less sex than they do, I know that's something that a lot of people struggle with. What would you say about that? Yeah, so I think the first thing I want to say is that you know, a discrepancy in levels of desire is the number one reason why people seek the help of the sex coach or or therapist. So if that's something that you're currently struggling with, I just want you to know that it's normal. It's, you know, most relationships go through this and more particularly so heterosexual relationships. And I think it's down to a misconception about desire and how it works because most of us haven't been given proper sexual education and an understanding of how our our desire works. And studies have shown that for a majority of men, desire is rather spontaneous, meaning that it takes very little stimuli to get them going. And for a lot of women, desire is more responsive, meaning that they need to nurture it. They need more stimulation in order to want sex. So a lot of couples, especially heterosexual couples, will have the impression that the man wants sex far more often or far more generally than the woman does. But it's often a misconception because once the woman really understands how her desire works, how to tap into it, how to spark her desire, then they come to the realization that she has just as much sex drive, if not more than her partner. Mm. And it's no longer such a big issue. But generally speaking, I think we also need to understand that by virtue of the fact that we're separate people with separate brains and bodies, it's natural that we're going to experience differences in sex drive throughout our relationship. You know, our sex drive is not constant. It fluctuates. And it's absolutely natural to find yourself at times where your partner wants more sex than you do or vice versa. And Mm. it's not an issue unless you make it one. Yeah. Yeah. And what kind of things impact that level of desire? Because I know you said that obviously sometimes women are more, their desire is more responsive. What kind of things can someone do to try and tap into that more? I know before we hit record, we were talking about the kind of things that turn us off and things that turn us on. What would you say about tapping into that for yourself? Well, so desire is an emotion, right? It's a Mm. feeling that we feel. And it's going to be impacted by our thoughts about ourselves, about sex and intimacy, thoughts about our partner, thoughts about our desirability, and so on. So if you have a lot of positive thoughts, you know, that will induce desire, it's going to be more easy for you to feel desire. If you have a lot of negative thoughts, on the other hand, it's going to, you know, make it very hard for you to feel desire. And also things that are completely outside the relationship and sex. If you're constantly feeling anxious, Mm -hmm. stressed, 
tired. These are things that are going to come in the way of your desire because what happens is for desire to have space in the body, you need to activate your relaxation response, right? Like you need to be in a state where your body is relaxed, where it feels safe, where it feels calm, where it can expand. And if you're on the other hand, you know, in fight or flight mode, you know, that's a survival thing. If you're in that fight or flight response because of emotions like stress, anger, mm. uh, exhaustion, this is going to come in the way of your desire. Because if you think about it from an evolutionary perspective, you know, when you're in fight or flight response, you don't want to be aroused. You don't want to feel desire. You don't want to be relaxed and, and horny and want to have sex, right? You want to get out of that. Like a tiger chasing you. You're not going to want to stop Exactly. You want to get out of that emergency situation alive. And, you know, in our day-to-day, we have constant emergencies, although they're not real life-threatening situations for most of us, we're constantly feeling, you know, stressed, anxious, either because of work, because of kids, you know, exhausting you all day, because of your in-laws being difficult or all sorts Mm. of situations. And these are usually the things that come in the way of our desires. So it's a lot more about diffusing what makes it difficult to access our desire than finding what turns us on. That's not the most difficult thing, usually for most people. It's really understanding what turns you off and turning off the offs. Yeah, 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 that makes so much sense. And I know for me and my partner, we've been together for a few years now, and sometimes we'll just be cuddled up on the sofa, just relaxing, watching Netflix. And the last thing that, you know, is going to cross our minds is to go upstairs and take off all our clothes and have sex and it's nothing to do with how attracted I am to her or how attracted she is to me it's that we're cozy and we're comfy and you know the brain likes to be comfortable the brain wants to conserve energy and keep us warm so I love that you brought in that that kind of biology side of this we've got to remember brains aren't wired to make us do things that maybe require us to make effort all of the time so it can be quite easy for us to want to just lie on the sofa and not have sex sometimes um and yeah like you you said Morgan, when we actually make the effort to go upstairs and <laughs> and start you know kissing and, and touching we instantly start to feel aroused and then we want to have sex and we mm-hmm. always say afterwards like I'm so glad that that we did that because you know that was amazing but we could have so easily just been like, oh no, let's leave it tonight. Let's not be bothered. And I know we, we were talking about before we hit record with the idea of scheduling sex. And I know that's mm. something that I'm just being open and honest, that's really helped me in my relationship. We we schedule sex. We say like, oh, let's have sex on Saturday night. And it's because we know that when we're all cuddled up in our pajamas watching RuPaul's Drag Race, <laughs> that we might not automatically go to do that because we're comfy and we're under heated blankets and it's freezing in England at the moment but when we know no on Saturday we're going to make the effort for each other we're gonna maybe one of us is going to get dressed up or we're gonna go upstairs and just you know put on some nice music like when we make that commitment to do that we then turn each other on which I think is kind of what you were saying about that being that receptor is that what you mean? Yeah. No, it's it's exactly what you mentioned. You know, if if your desire in that moment, because also we talked about, you know, big differences between a lot of men and a lot of women. Again, I it's like I'm talking about statistics here and studies. It's not meant to lock people into categories, right? Like even 
throughout your lifetime, you can have sometimes a more spontaneous desire, sometimes a more responsive. It's not a category. Oh, my desire is spontaneous forever or my desire is responsive forever. But if you and your partner, you know, tend to have a more responsive desire or at least, you know, in in this time in your relationship, making the commitment to prioritize romance and intimacy is a great thing to do because like you said, you didn't spontaneously feel like having sex. You were, like mm. you said, cozy under the blanket, watching Netflix, having a great time. And if you hadn't made that decision, okay, let's go upstairs, let's lie with each other, let's cuddle, let's kiss, you know, you wouldn't have had this opportunity for your desire to respond okay. to each other. Yeah. So you instinctively, you know, nurtured that desire and made it happen. Had you not made that decision, that commitment, it probably wouldn't have happened on its own. And it's what happens for many, many, many people. I think we have this misunderstanding that desire is just this spontaneous thing that just happens, you know, because of how sex is depicted in movies. I mean, Look at the, the access that we have to intimacy. It's what we see in movies, in pornography. It's not like we have a lot of resources teaching us how it really works. So if you just base your understanding of sex and how desire is supposed to work, you know, on American rom-coms and, and pornography, you're going to think that something is wrong with you for not wanting mm. sex all the time, for not being spontaneously aroused all the time, you know. And what you did with your partner instinctively is more representative of what a lot of peer people experience in their sexuality. Yeah, yeah. So I love that, like, you know, scheduling sex doesn't have to be a problem. <laughs> we don't oh, have no. to see it as this, you know, oh, we've, you know, we've lost the spark. We have to schedule and have sex. No, like, you know, you, you would schedule a date night with them. You would schedule Absolutely. alone time with them. So we need to bring that into sex. You know, if sex is important to you, how can you take the reins on? Yeah, okay, I'm going to make this an amazing part of our relationship. So I'm going to schedule it for Saturday night if they're <laughs> consenting and they want to do it too. I'm going to make it really special for us. So yeah, I, I really love that. Actually, you know, scheduling sex can be the sexiest of things. I think a lot mm. of people have this misconception that scheduling sex means the flame has died and that now you need to put it on the calendar or it's not going to happen and therefore it's not spontaneous and therefore, you know, it's not as great as it used to be. But when you think about it, sex is never 100% spontaneous. Even at the very start of a relationship, when we go on, you know, first dates, we, you know, you you prepare for the date, you, you pick out a, a sexy outfit, you lay out some, I don't know, sexy lingerie, uh, you wear your favorite perfume, you shave, you prepare because you have, you know, all these expectations that something might happen, right? So, scheduling sex, I mean, it depends uh, w the intention that you put behind the scheduling, right? If you just put it on your to-do list, you know, call plumber, uh, <laughs> take kids to school, remember to buy milk, have sex, it's not very sexy, right? But if you see it as, no, I love my partner, I desire my partner, I want to have a great time with them, they are a priority in my life, our sexual pleasure, our, you know, intimacy, our connection is a priority in my life. And therefore, I'm going to schedule it and I'm going to look forward to it. And I'm going to think about, you mentioned Saturday night, I'm going to think about Saturday night with so much intention and looking forward mm. to it. When you do it from that intention, it's extremely sexy. So it's like anything you do in life. When you go on a holiday, you don't just 
jump on a plane, do you? You look for the best hotel. You look forward to going on that vacation. You buy that bikini that you're going to wear at the beach. You fantasize about the cocktails that you're going to be drinking by the pool. There is a lot of preparation that goes behind an exciting trip. So you can see, you know, your date night, your sex night with your partner with the same intensity and intention. Yeah, I love that. And I know a lot of my clients will always ask me, you know, how much is the right amount of sex? Or they, they say things like, we're not having sex enough. As if there's someone we can ask that will tell us, yes, you're supposed to be having sex this amount. And if you're not, then you've not hit the mark or there's something wrong. What would you say to that? What's your take on the kind of right amount to be having sex? So I think there's no right amount, just like I don't think there's any sexuality that is normal or not normal or that is right or not right. I think what matters is that partners are both equally happy and satisfied. It becomes a problem when one of the partners wants sex a lot more than the other partner. And then there is, you know, a source of frustration, feeling rejected, suffering, you know, that's when there's an issue. But if your partner and you are happy and you're having sex, you know, three times a year or once a month or three times a week or twice a day, I mean, it doesn't matter. There's no right amount of sex to have. That being said, some studies have shown that couples who have sex at least once a week are happier. And that is because when we have sex, we release uh, we release a lot of hormones. You know, uh, we feel more connected. We feel a bond. We feel more intimate. It's a great way to show love and affection, mm. to express, you know, your desire for one another. So it creates a lot of, you know, positive things that we all want in our relationship. Also, yeah. The more you have sex and the more you have pleasure, the more your body seeks it. So mm. if you're currently in a in a situation where you're not having sex very often, you know, starting to have sex more regularly will make you want to have sex more and more. Yeah, so that's it's like so a, true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think as well, I think the once a week thing, again, makes sense because if you're having that moment once a week where you're committed to connecting and having that, then of course, that's going to be an amazing, beautiful thing. And I think yeah. for listeners that aren't having sex every week, I don't want anyone to, to panic and think there's something terribly wrong with, with that relationship. That isn't, it's not about the act of having sex. It's about the connection created in that moment. And, you know, you could have sex once a week with someone and be lying there completely just wishing it would be over, thinking mm -hmm. about how you're going to go and make a cup of tea afterwards or do the laundry and not feel connected. And you'll be having sex once a week. You're not going to feel amazingly happy and connected in your relationship just like I know sometimes me and my partner won't have sex for a couple of weeks and we're still amazingly happy because we still mm -hmm. have those moments of connection all throughout the week like we're really cuddly and we will cuddle in bed and you know kiss each other and you know just do sweet goofy things together and we're always having these kinds of fun cute moments of connection when she's cooking I'll go and put my arms around her you know with these mm -hmm. moments where it's connection. It's not sex, but Absolutely. it means that when we're not having, you know, if, if we've, we've got a few busy weeks and obviously both being girls, periods factor in, sorry to the guys that are listening, you know, there are <laughs> times where it can go for a, a few weeks and then maybe someone's ill and then we're not going to have sex because that person's sick. And, you know, before you know it, it can be a few weeks that have gone by, but we don't feel any less connected because we're constantly 
creating that connection. So I really wanted to say that to everyone listening, you know, connection is created by having sex also through so many other things. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. No, it's, it's a great reminder. And I think we should also, you know, know that our sex life, like any other area of our lives is fluctuating, has its ups and downs, its ebbs and flows, and it's not constant. You will find yourself in phases where you have sex a lot more often. Sometimes you're not going to have sex for weeks or even months. What matters is what you said, that you seek connection, that you seek closeness, that, you know, you seek moments where you're together, where you show each other love and affection. And it's okay to have fluctuations. Your sex life is not going to be constant. It's impossible. It's just, you know, people who have never experienced issues in their sex life with their partner, I always say, have just not been long enough together. That's it. Because it's like... Or maybe not even been fully honest, because I think a lot of people will just have sex when someone initiates sex with them, even if they don't really want it or... You know, exactly. But, which actually leads me on to the, the next thing I wanted to ask you, which was about initiating. Uh, a lot of my clients will come to me and they'll be having a lot of negative emotion because they believe that mm. they're the ones that initiate sex more than their partner does. And they think that means something terrible. What would you say to that? So... I did, I think, a whole episode on initiating sex. I had a lot to say about it. But (laughs) if I were to summarize, you know, I think we, first of all, we need to come to the realization that initiating just means initiating. It's not good or bad. It just is. It's like if you were hungry, you would go to the fridge to fetch some food. You're hungry, you go, you eat. It's not good or bad. It's just, it's just a fact. So initiating means you want to have sex and so you go and you initiate sex the problem with you know initiating more or initiating less is what you make it mean so yeah. you're talking about clients of yours who feel there's a problem because they initiate more they probably think there's a problem because they think that their partner not initiating means something about them about the relationship so they're probably thinking my partner doesn't initiate because they don't desire me or my partner doesn't initiate because you know they are cheating they're with somebody mm-hmm. else or my partner doesn't initiate because you know they want sex less than i do and so there is a problem i want too much sex you know it's unhealthy mm-hmm. there's many things that happen and we have a lot of thoughts about why our partner behaves a certain way mm-hmm. and- which again i think it does come down to socialization again because oh yeah as women and i know obviously it can happen both ways I'm just being kind of the, the general way that women are socialized, but women are socialized to see themselves as the object of desire. Mm-hmm, so absolutely. we base how sexy and attractive we feel on whether someone else is finding us attractive. It's like mm-hmm. that kind of whole male gaze <laughs> part of it. Yeah. You know, if someone wants me, that means I'm attractive and I can feel good. Whereas men feel sexy and attractive and, you know, turned on being the pursuer of that, you know, seeing the thing that they're attracted to and wanting to go and pursue it. And so even if it's very subconscious, a lot of my clients believe that if their partner isn't wanting to rip their clothes off every day or once a week, or if their partner says, oh, sorry, I'm I'm feeling a bit tired, I'm not in the mood for sex, that is somehow a rejection of their desirability. You know, they're believing if I was more desirable, they would want me, which is the, the total thought error, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I see across my clients. You know, the the partner who initiates more tends to feel rejected because they're, you know, always the one initiating. And oftentimes when they initiate, their partner doesn't always reciprocate. And what I want them to consider is that at that moment in time, their partner is rejecting the idea of sex. Mm. They're not rejecting them specifically. And if they're rejecting the idea of sex, that can be for a number of reasons that have nothing to do with the relationship itself. So, you know, their partner can be tired or exhausted from the kids crying all morning, or they can be anxious uh, and stressed because of work. There's a yeah. number of things that can be happening. So, you know, I, I always give analogies like if you were to offer your partner a cup of coffee and your partner said, no, thanks, you wouldn't feel rejected, would you? You would just think, OK, they're not feeling the like having coffee, coffee yeah. right now. <laughs> right. But when it's sex, it's like, oh, my God, they said no. That means, you know, I've put on weight. Suddenly your partner doesn't love you anymore. Suddenly, you know, you're undesirable. They're cheating on you. They're no longer interested in you. They don't love you. Like you make it mean something huge when all they did was say no to sex at that very specific moment during the day. That's all that happened. And on the other hand, the partner who tends to receive and to not initiate, oftentimes they come to me saying, I want to initiate more because, you know, a normal person who's, you know, sexually whole knows how to initiate and something is wrong with me for not initiating, you know, I should be more sexual. And I think, again, it's a misconception of what initiating is and what it means. And going back to what we were talking about, you know, people with a more spontaneous desire and people with a more responsive desire, it's only natural for someone who has a lot of spontaneous desire to be the one who initiates more because you don't need that extra stimuli to one sex. You just want it more spontaneously. And if you just leave it at that, then it's no longer a problem if you're the one initiating more and your partner, the one receiving more. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because you'll just know, oh yeah, this this is us. This is the pattern. And it brings me to something I wanted to say for the partners who tend to not initiate, you know, the, mm -hmm. the partners who tend to be perhaps more responsive and they tend to wait for their partner to initiate. I mean, nothing wrong with that. Like I said, there is no right or wrong way to have sex. But if you do want to learn to initiate more, if you do want to be more active, because it's just something that, you know, the thought of initiating is exciting to you, you want to try new things, you know, there's a number of ways that you can tap into this energy. It doesn't have to be an all or nothing ca kind of pa pattern. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I teach my clients who tend to wait for, for their partner to initiate is to first, you know, turn themselves on. Because I think also a misconception about sex is that your partner is supposed to turn you on when actually it's your job to turn yourself on. So, you know, the first thing is learn how your desire works, learn how to turn yourself on so that you can be in a place of wanting to initiate more. And then it's also learning to understand your body and when it's a hell yes, when it's a hell no, and when it's a maybe. Because mm. I think it goes back to the example you gave of you and your partner, right? When you went upstairs to cuddle. At that point, you weren't a full yes. You were not also a full no. You were a maybe. Let's go and cuddle and see what happens. And I think for a lot of 
people who tend to wait for their partner to initiate, it's because they haven't learned, you know, what it is to be a yes, what it is to be a no, and what it is to be a maybe. You don't need to wait to be a full yes to initiate. If you know it's mm. going to take some time for you to be a full yes, but you're already a maybe, it's already enough to initiate and you can communicate that to your partner. You can say, okay, it's a maybe. I'm not 100% sure I want to have sex yet, but I want to connect with you. And you can, you can yeah, go let's just make out for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love that. And what do you think stands in the way of people initiating? Because I think we make everything about us, don't we? We assume it's because we're not attractive and we're not good enough. But in actual fact, like you said, there's so many factors that contribute to it. Do you think fear of rejection is another thing that stops people from initiating? Some oh, yeah, absolutely. There is a number of things that, you know, uh, prevents people from initiating. Fear of rejection is definitely one of them. But I'm going to say to you, if you're afraid to initiate because you're afraid to be rejected, that probably means that you wait for your partner to initiate most of the time. And I'm guessing that you have rejected them in the past. Mm. And so ask yourself this, when you have rejected them, was it about them? Was it about not wanting them? Was it about not being attracted to them? Or did it have nothing to do with them? And you just rejected the idea of sex. My yeah. guess is it was probably the latter. So you can put yourself in the same position, like, okay, I'm going to initiate. They might say no. And if they say no, it's probably because of something else that has nothing to do with me. Maybe they're stressed at work. Maybe they're exhausted. Maybe their mind is somewhere else. So I think, you know, that's what we want to look into. It's the, okay, if they say no, what does it mean? You know, yeah. that it doesn't mean that they have rejected me. Yeah. And then, other reasons, because there there are many, but the co more, most common reasons that I see why people do not initiate, it's first they make it more complicated than it needs to be. They think that, you know, initiating it is this complex thing and there is a manual for how you should initiate. I could do a whole episode on, on initiating, but if I were to just simplify it, initiating is just showing your partner that you want them. There is not... There's no right or wrong way to initiate. There's not a checklist of things you're supposed to do to initiate in the correct way. You know, you could be, for example, I was talking to a client once and she told me that she did a boob dance for her husband. Mm -hmm. Now, if she had done the boob dance in a way to be funny and goofy, that wouldn't qualify as initiating. But she did the boob dance, looking at him in the eye, showing him that she desired him, moving her that body in a way. boob dance. <laughs> Sorry? That's such a funny way to talk about it. Boob dance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, it's the, the, the boob dance is just a boob dance, right? But it's the intention behind it. It's how she showed up. It's the energy she put into yeah. it. So really initiating is just showing your partner that you want them. And then, of course, there are many ways that you can go about it, but I would start by learning their language. Learn what turns them off, what turns them on, and take it from there. And if, you know, you can ask them what they like, what they don't like. And this often starts way outside of the bedroom. It's not just sexual acts. If you know that your partner loves to take a warm bath, maybe draw them a bath. And that's one way to show them that you care and that you want to connect with them and that you want them to feel good. And 
And so, yeah, I think one of the reasons why people don't initiate is because they make it far more complicated than it needs to be. And then there is other reasons like, you know, not being aroused, like I said, and that's where you want to learn, you know, when you're a definite no, but when you're a maybe and a definite yes, because when you're a maybe, then you can start leaning into it. And then there's other reasons like being afraid to not go through with it. A lot of my clients, you know, when they're a maybe, they feel like they could initiate, but then they're afraid that when it comes to it, they're not going to be aroused and then they're going to pull out and that their partner is going to be frustrated with them or angry because they turned their partner on and then they say no at the last minute. And again, it's a matter of communication. You know, you can tell your partner, I'm leaning into it. It's a maybe. I'm not sure I'm going to go all the way, but, you know, I want to connect with you. And you can take it from there. Yeah. And then there's all sorts of other reasons. Being afraid to set a precedent is one of them. One of my clients was afraid that if she initiated once, then she would forever have to initiate. And I was like, uh, okay, have you ever watched a cooking show with your partner? And she said, yes. And I was like, okay. And have you ever tried a recipe from that cooking show at home? And she said, yes. And I was like, okay. And does your partner suddenly expect you to turn into a five-star chef at home every day? (laughs) Or can you still order takeout sometimes? And she was like, well, no, obviously I don't have to. So Again, when it comes to sex, we we treat sex as a parallel universe, as if rules that apply in other departments of our lives don't apply to sex. And Mm. I want to invite people to understand that sex is just another area of your life and the same rules apply. Yeah, we do. We attach so much meaning to it. And I remember when in one of my past relationships, it was a long distance relationship. So we'd only see Mm -hmm. each other at the weekend. And I remember this was back when I was having a lot of relationship anxiety anyway, but I'd think to myself, okay, we need to have sex this weekend because if we don't, it means we're not connected. It means Mm -hmm. we're not, our relationship is in trouble. It means she's not attracted to me. And of course my brain would have you know, completely disqualified us having sex if I had been the one that initiated it. So that was another layer. It was like, we have to have sex Mm. this weekend and she has to be the one that initiates it. And so all weekend, I'd be so anxious thinking, okay, is she going to initiate? Is she going to initiate? And then if she didn't, I'd be absolutely beside myself thinking she isn't attracted to me. The relationship Mm -hmm. is failing. All of this, like so much unnecessary mind drama (laughs) that we we add into the mix versus it being as simple as, we're two people in a relationship and we can connect in so many other ways than having sex. We connect through conversations. We connect through other ways of touching and cuddling and kissing and sharing details about our lives. Like there's so many ways that we connect with each other. Oh, sex, yeah. sex is one of those ways. And I can initiate without it meaning anything bad if she doesn't want to have sex. Mm-hmm. I can initiate and always be the one that initiates and it not mean anything terrible. Um, And if we don't have sex, I also don't need to make that mean that we aren't connected or that we aren't, you know, having a great relationship. It's it's really challenging all of those meanings that we attach to it. Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone should define their own sexuality and really ask themselves, what does hot sex look like to me? What does my dream intimacy look like if I were to erase everything I think I know about sex because the access that we have to sexuality is very narrow. I mean, Mm. you have American movies, 
pornography, TV shows, and they don't portray what most people experience in their relationships and their intimacy. Most people's sex lives doesn't look anything like what you see on TV. And so if you were to erase what you think you know, what does it look like to you to have this passionate, deeply connected sex life? What what does it look like? And you might be surprised. It might not look like anything you you saw before. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And would you say it's normal for people to have less sex as the relationship goes on? Because me and my partner were talking about this the other day, actually, how at the beginning of our relationship, we would want to have sex all the time, like when we were first dating. And Mm. now as life gets in the way, we live together now, time can go by without us having sex. What would you say to that? Do you think that's something that most people face and is quite a normal part of relationships progressing? Yeah, I think it's what most people experience. And I think we don't have to make it a problem. It's not a problem unless we make it one. But I also want to say it doesn't have to stay that way if mm. we want to spark our sex lives. Yeah. I think what what happens for most people is that at the beginning, desire is easy just because there's a lot of unknown territory and unknown territory leaves room for imagination. Like I said before, desire is an emotion that we feel in our body and desire doesn't just happen by itself, it's something that we create with our thoughts, right? And so at the start of a relationship, there's so much unknown territory. Think of your first date with your girlfriend, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're thinking, oh my God. Is she going to kiss me? Exactly. I was going to say, right? It's like, oh my God, is she going to put her hand on my lap? Is she going to grab my hand? Is she going to kiss me? Is she, you know, when, when her, I don't know, you're walking alongside and your arms touch, you feel that chill and you're like, oh my God, you have so much room for discovery that your brain goes nuts with thoughts and, you know, fantasy and imagination. And so desire is very easy. That's why you feel a lot a lot of desire and a lot of arousal very quickly. When you have been together for a longer period of time, well, let's say that there's a little less room for imagination, right? And yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, because you you have the impression that you know the other person, that you know everything about them, their good qualities, and especially their bad qualities. <laughs> and, you know, along the way, there have been disappointments, misunderstandings, fights. And so all of this gives a lot less room for imagination and for desire to grow. And another thing is that there's a paradox in relationships. On the one hand, we seek closeness, right? We want to feel close to the other person. We want to sort of merge, to feel safe. That's how you create a life with someone. That's how you decide to invest financially into a house together. That's how you decide to raise children together. You need that level of closeness. And on the other side, desire needs separateness because if you're too close, like if if you think of merging with someone, then there's mm. no one to connect with anymore. You need a certain amount of separateness for desire to have space to emerge. So you need to find a balance between that need for closeness, togetherness, and that need for separateness. So I think it's a matter of different things. The first thing is you want to prioritize your intimacy. And by intimacy, I don't just say sexuality. I mean also connection, right? You want to make time for romance. You want to make time for each other because it won't happen on its own. 
The second thing I would say is you want to be willing to be wrong about what you think you know about your partner. You want to be mm -hmm. willing to rediscover your partner because if you have less desire at some point in your relationship than you did at the start, it's because at the start of the relationship, you had a lot of thoughts that induced desire. So you want to get curious, okay? What was I thinking about my partner that made them so desirable to me? And then you want to get curious to why am I not thinking along those lines anymore? What is happening? What has changed? And if you want to create more desire, you want to work on your thoughts and create thoughts, choose thoughts on purpose that spark that desire again. So you want to cultivate enough separateness and closeness, find that fine line between the two. And that can be, you know, allowing each other to have separate activities, but at the same time doing things in common together. You want to think about the thoughts that you have about your partner and rediscover them. Like if it was the first time that you saw them, how would you react? You know, I tell my 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 clients sometimes, when your husband, you know, comes down to the kitchen for his morning cup of coffee, imagine it's the first time you see them walking down the stairs. What would you be thinking about them, right? How would you react around them when they brush against you? There's many things that we can do to rekindle the flame, but it is work. I, I, mm. I have to say, I'm a firm believer that you can have a hot sex life even after 30 plus years of marriage. But it does require extra work that is not needed at the beginning because of, you know, what I mentioned, that room for imagination that's just naturally there at the start. And also yeah. there is more separateness at the start, right? Yeah, just by virtue yeah. of the fact that you just got together. You're not yet that solid merged kind of couple. Yeah. And I always um, say to my clients about leading with curiosity. And I think that's so true for this as well. Like mm. if rather than oh, you know, that's just my partner. I've been with them for years. Like, I know everything about them. You know, I know what their morning breath smells like. There's nothing new to know. If yeah. you were just curious, like, I wonder what makes them tick. Or like, I wonder what fantasies they might have that they've not shared with me yet. Or yeah. something that's maybe a new fantasy that they didn't even know they had. Or I wonder what might feel really good for them. And, and just really coming at it from that curiosity and, and even ha having that conversation with them. What is it that you'd like to try? If we were to spice things yeah. up, what would what would be something you've never tried that you'd be willing to try just once? Like what would be something that we could explore together, even if we both end up hating it and laughing and it being a disaster? Like what yeah. would be one fun thing we could just explore together? Because yeah, that's how you, like you said, it's like you, you find new territory, you, you're exploring, you're evolving together. Because as well, yeah. the things that you liked sexually when you first met, you might not even like that anymore. Absolutely. And, and and the beautiful thing is that as although it may sound complicated, what we're talking about, you know, like working on your relationship and working to rediscover your partner, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes it's just little tricks. You know, the brain doesn't need that much. Like, for example, if you live together with your partner, you've been together for 20 plus years, you have children and you go on a date to the restaurant, perhaps just driving in separate cars and meeting at the restaurant like you're meeting someone new and not just 
going in the same car and complaining about the kids. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Small shifts like this can do a lot for your relationship. It doesn't mean completely redefining everything. It's just the small shifts every day of doing things slightly differently. So your brain is excited again. So it steps out of that routine mm. that in itself can do wonders for your sex life. It makes me think of, I don't know if you've watched Modern Family, but I'm sure some oh, of I the love listeners that show. Oh, do love it. It makes me think of Phil and Claire, you know, Phil yeah. and Claire Dunphy and how they like every Valentine's Day, they like have I their know. alter egos and they meet in a restaurant or a bar. Clive and like, Bixby. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and Juliana. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, and it's amazing because you look at them and you think they have the most amazing relationship and they see each other every day. They do get bogged down. They don't always make time for each other. But they, yeah. they have these little hacks of ways to spice things up that keep it feeling like their kids again, like they were the teenagers that they were when they met, which is, yeah. is really lovely. Yeah, um, I love it. Something else I wanted to ask you is about feeling sexy and desirable and wanted and good about yourself, even when your partner isn't wanting to have sex or give you attention. Because I know this is something that a lot of my clients struggle with. They'll say, when they say no to having sex, mm. I just can't feel sexy and desirable. And I wondered what you would recommend for that about working on being yeah. able to feel sexy regardless of what the situation is. So I think what's really important is for people to realize that feeling sexy and desirable is an inner state. Mm -hmm. It's your thoughts about yourself that make you feel sexy and desirable. It's, you know, it's it was never your partner's attention. Of course, when your partner behaves a certain way, they make it easier for you to have positive thoughts, right? Like if you put on a sexy dress and, or just a regular dress, like if you put on a new dress and your partner notices the dress and says, oh, you look good, you look sexy, then it's easy for your brain to say, oh, they said I'm sexy, therefore I'm That's sexy. I am. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just easy, right? It's, they, they basically make it easier for you to feel that way. But it's still your thought, oh, they think I'm sexy, so I'm sexy, that makes you feel sexy, right? Mm, yeah. So you can totally work on your thoughts to feel sexy and desirable on your own. And I would recommend that you do, because if you're going to be in a long-term relationship, your partner is going to go through their ups and downs of their own. They're going to go through their work stress, through their parents being sick. They're going to go through a lot of things in life. And if you're constantly waiting for their validation, like a vending machine to feel mm. good about yourself, it's going to be exhausting for you and the relationship. And by all means, seek a partner who adores you, who treats you with respect, with kindness, with love and attention. You know, you want a partner like this and you definitely deserve a partner like this, but there's nothing more empowering and freeing than being able to feel good about yourself no matter what, no matter yeah. what the other person in your life is going through. Because when you're able to feel sexy and desirable, even when your partner is not giving you the attention that you would love to receive, you can just be calm about it and tell yourself, okay, we're going to find each other when they're ready to, when they're over whatever they're going through. And you don't need to make it mean anything about you. You can still go about your day feeling sexy, feeling desirable, feeling empowered, and you're not dependent on someone else to give you something you need in order to feel good about yourself. You, yeah, you keep that. the power, right? Yeah. Like you're not dependent on someone else 
to feed your emotional system, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it totally does. And yeah, it makes total sense. And the final thing I wanted to ask about was for those people that are listening, that are taking all of this in, if they do feel like there is a mismatch in maybe how much their partner wants sex compared to how much they want sex, how would you advise that they navigate that if they are on that path where they mm. think okay maybe we do have differences of of wants here does that always mean they have to break up does that mean that they can accept and uh, allow the relationship to be what it is where, where would you begin with that well I think that you know we need to really treat sex like any other area of life it's not a parallel universe And so I would treat it like anything else. You know, if you wanted to have kids uh, and that's a non-negotiable for you and your partner doesn't want to have kids and that's a non-negotiable for them, where do you go? You would probably mm. break up because, you know, you you have defined that it is yeah. that it is non-negotiable. Exactly. So I think when it comes to sex, it's kind of the same thing. You want to be honest with yourself about what your needs and wants are. Your partner needs to be honest with themselves about what their needs and wants are. And, you know, is it something we can compromise on or is it a non-negotiable? I think a lot needs to be done in terms of sexual education before you jump to any conclusions. Like mm. I said, you want to really understand your desire, your sexuality, your pleasure. You want to understand your partners because a lot of couples suffer because of what we discussed, misconceptions in sexuality, their desire, their pleasure. And they assume that one has a higher sex drive when it's not necessarily true, et cetera, et cetera. So First of all, you want to clean all that up. You want to make mm. sure you understand what's in front of you. Yeah. But and I guess you... clean up the thoughts around all the added mind drama as well. Yeah. Am I making this amount of sex mean that the relationship's in danger? Am I making this amount of exactly. sex mean that we're not connected, that they don't love me? Like clean all of that up and really make yeah. sure you're intentional there first. Yeah, that definitely. You want to do that. And then you want to also know that sexuality is the way I see sexuality, at least not everybody will agree with that. But for me, sexuality is my pleasure relationship with myself and my body, my intimacy with myself and my body. And then, you know, I open it to someone else, to my partner, if and when I want to. So the way I see sexuality is partner A has their sexuality, partner B has their sexuality, and then they have their their common sexuality, right? So it's like, it's almost like three bubbles. So when you're meeting each other halfway and you're both wanting sex and the sex is great, et cetera, okay, fantastic. And then when you, when you want to have sex and your partner doesn't want to have sex, it doesn't have to end there. You still have your own sexuality. You can pleasure yourself. You can, you know, there's all sorts of ways that you can explore your own sexuality without the frustration of not being able to share it at that moment with mm -hmm. your partner. Yeah. But if despite all that, it's still a cause of suffering. It's still a cause of misunderstanding. You really aren't on the same page. And it's not just differences in sex drive. It can be sexual preferences. I mean, mm. if, you, if you're really into BDSM and, you know, it's very important for you to experience things that way and your partner is a definite, no, never, I don't want that, then what do you do? I think you have to really ask yourself, is it a deal breaker? And if it is, 
I think we need to take the stigma away of thinking that, you know, sex is this frivolous thing. And if everything else is working, it's not a, a valid reason to end a relationship. Why would we think that? I mean, sex, for me, it, you know, you have sexual health, sexual wellness. It's a very important part of someone's overall health and well-being. Mm, yeah. So if it it's means really... different things to different people. I guess it's like having kids. There are yeah. some people, I know my partner me when we talk about having kids I've always been hell yes about wanting to have kids she's always been a "Mm, I could but I could easily not and so now that she's with me she's saying yes she will have a child with me but if she'd been with someone who didn't want children she could have probably gone that way as well and I think it's the same with levels of sex for one person sex might be extremely important and so they Mm -hmm. want a partner who is very into having sex wants to have sex maybe regularly wants to have a particular type of sex someone else it might not be as big a deal in their life that they're just not as exactly bothered about it and that might not be a match for you and that's mm-hmm. okay yeah and that's okay you can give yourself permission you know to end a relationship if it comes to that based on not being a match in your intimacy it is it is a valid reason i just want people to feel the freedom to to be honest with themselves because i have people who come to me and they come to the hard realization that, okay, it's really not working with that person, but they don't give themselves permission to face this because everything else is working, right? Mm, And it's almost like, well, how frivolous of me to end a relationship because the sex isn't working. Well, Mm. why does it have to be it? Some people, my clients often have this scarcity mindset of like, there's not many good people out there. So if Mm. this good person has four out of five of my deal breakers I should just Mm -hmm. let the other deal breaker go but if you believed that there was someone out there who you didn't have to sacrifice a deal breaker for like if that you could get everything you truly wanted and again everyone listening you you know that I teach that no one's going to follow your manual completely that of course is is true but I'm talking about deal breakers here I'm talking about Mm -hmm. the things that are really really important to you that you don't want to go without if you believed there was someone else out there who could be a match on all those fronts, would you then still choose to stay in this relationship? Potentially not. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I agree with that. I love it. And I think it it does all come back to accepting the person for who they are, which is something we talk about a lot on this podcast. We don't want to keep telling ourselves that the person should be someone different, that they should should want sex more or they should behave differently because we're just going to create more and more frustration. We've got to accept the human being in front of us for who they are. Um, and try and be curious and open and connect with that person being exactly Mm. who they are beautiful yeah yeah I love (laughs) it okay amazing I feel like we have covered so much ground there so I really hope that that was helpful to everyone listening and if you did find it useful please come and tell me on Instagram I'm this year I'm really gonna make an effort to have more guests onto the podcast so we can hear from different voices and cover a, a wider range of topics So if you have an idea for someone that you think would be great to be on the podcast, or you want to just tell me how you found this episode, please come and find me on Instagram and and let me know. And Morgane, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you and and how they can come and learn more about sex and intimacy and and ways of working with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I do have my own podcast. It's called Beyond Great Sex, and you can find it on all platforms. Uh, That's a great source to learn everything about sexuality. I'm also on Instagram at Morgan Horn with the underscore. Uh, I guess you probably can link all these in your show notes, right? Yeah, yeah, totally will. 
Yeah. And so currently, just worth mentioning, I'm offering anyone who enrolls in my program on or before February 15th of this year, an extra two months of coaching. So basically, people get six months of coaching at the price of four. So now is a great time to kickstart the year and make 2024 the year people have the best sex of their life. Yes, I love that one. <laughs> An amazing resolution. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the, the podcast. And as ever, oh. you have been amazing. I feel like for me, whenever you talk to me about sex, it like unlocks things in my brain. I'm like, yes, I never thought of it oh. that way. That's amazing. So yeah, oh. thank you so much for, for being a guest. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was amazing. amazing well thank you everyone for listening and i will see you all next week bye if you have loved this episode please add a rating write a review and share it around to help spread the word to all the women out there who need to hear this i am so grateful for you listening and if you are ready to take this work deeper, book your discovery session with me at www.morganhorn.com. That is M-O-R-G-A-N-E-H-O-R-N.com. We will explore any issue you would like help with, and you will learn all about my coaching program so you can get started on creating the sex life of your wildest dreams. I will see you there.